Um, and yeah, it's been a blessing being a part of this community. Uh, and like Ken said, we've been in this series called Built on a Rock, where we are discussing the church. And this is our fifth week in this series. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, Dan gave an analogy uh, likening the gospel to a vinyl record. Uh, and he said that we have the gospel A-side of this vinyl record. It's the one that gets a lot of attention, a lot of airtime. Uh, and it's that Jesus Christ died uh, and was raised again to take away our sins so that we could have a right relationship with God and spend eternity with him forever. And that is absolutely true. Uh, and we are not at all trying to downplay that. Uh, but there is more to the gospel than just that. And the gospel B side that Dan presented was that we, when we are saved, are not just us and God. We are now part of a community. We are now part of this thing called the church. Uh, you can't have one without the other. You can't be saved and not be a part of the church. Uh, and so since the church is a big, important part of the gospel, we want to do it well. And that is why we are doing this series. That is why we are talking about the church and spending all this time talking about this church. So like Ken said, also, we're in week five, a little review of where we've been. We've talked about the church uh, as the temple of the spirit uh, and how God has overcome all the things that would uh, divide us and that maybe the world would say should divide us. He has overcome and brought us together and made us one. Uh, He talked, we've talked about the body, uh, the church being Christ's body and that we are all different parts and we all have different jobs uh, and nobody's job is more important than anybody else's job. They are all essential uh, and they are all for one another's benefits, not just for ourselves. Uh, we've talked... I have to look at my notes. We've talked about being the growing church last week, uh, that it's not okay to just be stagnant in our faith. Uh, and that happens on an individual level, right? That as individuals, we shouldn't just be the same in a year as we are today, uh, but it happens on a corporate level as well. We as a church body should be growing and we should be encouraging one another to grow. Uh, and I'm missing my last one. Uh, Does anybody know it? Nobody? Y'all failed. All right. Uh, Yeah. Oh, I guess we just talked about the unity of the church, the importance of unity in the church uh, and being united with a common mission and a common aim. Uh, And today I'm going to talk to us about, I should remember this one, the distinct church. All right. The distinct church. Uh, What makes us different than the world around us? What makes Christians different than non-Christians? What makes the church different than any other social group or religion or gathering? Um, And that's what we're going to focus on. But before we get into the distinct church, uh, I want to preface it with a couple of things. Uh, This is a test, uh, but it is a test that I gave my two-year-old last night, and she passed with flying colors. Uh, so it's an easy test, no pressure, but if you fail, that does reflect very poorly on you and your intelligence. Uh, or maybe just your colorblindness, okay? So here's, here's the test, all right? You've probably done these before. It might have been a while, but one of these things is not like the other. Can anybody... Tell me which of these things is not like the other. Craig, Craig knows. Craig confidently says, D, Craig, are you right? You are right. 
It is D. Clap for Craig. Yeah, we can applaud Craig. Craig did it. He passed. He's at least as smart as Adelaide. That's great. And this is the two-question test, all right? Second question. It's a little bit trickier. Uh, which of these fish is not like the other? Does anybody feel confident? No? No hands? Huh? Uh, kind of. Kind of she did, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say yes. I'll say yes, she did. But in a roundabout way. All right. So, the answer is A. It's fish A. And the reason it's fish A is that fish A's name is Todd. And B, C, and D's names are Frank. All right? So, fish A is the different fish here. Uh, Adelaide just said blue fish. That was her. It was, she was right. It was one of the blue fish. Uh, so, yeah. And the reason for this, this is kind of stupid. I'll admit this is kind of stupid. Uh, but the reason for this... Uh, is that when we talk about being distinct, uh, we're not just talking about being different. It's a higher bar than just being different. Being distinct means that we are apparently different. We are noticeably different. It is not enough for us to just say that we're Christians. It's not enough for us to just give our group uh, a special name called the church uh, and for our lives to still look like everybody else's around us. There should be actual noticeable differences that we can see in ourselves and that when the world looks at us, they see in us. All right. That's the first one. My second preface point uh, is one that got drilled into me when I was in high school. I took a a psychology class uh, and I may not agree with everything in modern psychology, uh, but there was a ton of value for me in understanding humanity and just things that are true about us generally uh, that typically agree with the Bible. But this is more of a statistics one, uh, and it's the idea that correlation is not causation. Have you guys heard this before? It's an important one to remember, uh, but it's an easy one to forget. Uh, if you're not familiar uh I'm going to show you with this graph. This is from Harvard's website. All right. As far as I'm aware, I didn't run these studies, but this this data is true. Uh, and what this graph is doing uh, is it's showing the correlation between the divorce rate in Maine uh, and the per capita consumption of margarine. All right. And we can clearly see from this graph that from 2000 to 2009, uh, there has been a steady decline in the consumption of margarine. Uh, and with that decline in the consumption of margarine, there has also been a consistent and pretty remarkable uh, correlation with the drop in divorce rates. All right. Now, what I've said, is that true? Apparently so. 100%. I have not said anything misleading. Now, if I were to say that consuming less margarine means that divorce rates will go down, is that true? No, not necessarily, right? One does not mean the other. Maybe big margarine doesn't want us to know that. Uh, maybe if we wanted to solve divorce, we need to stop using alternatives to butter. Uh <laughs> Get back on dairy. No, no, that's not what we can't do that. That's bad. But it happens all the time. And this is a silly example, uh, but it happens in sometimes insidious ways, uh, sometimes in just not critically thinking ways. Uh, I've fallen prey to this. I'm sure you guys have fallen prey to this at times, especially if I find a statistic or information that supports what I already believe and I'm going to use it to make my argument to the people who disagree with me, uh, and that's not great. 
And the reason uh, that I'm bringing this up is because as I was preparing this message on the distinct church, uh, one verse pretty immediately came to mind, and it's this from John 15, uh, starting at verse 18. It says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, you, they will obey yours also. They they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now, this is all true. Jesus said this. If I came up here and said, this isn't true, that would be a problem. You should be concerned with that. Uh, but this is all true. But the way that I've heard this verse often uh, is to say, or is as a, a way to dismiss criticism from the outside uh, and sometimes valid criticism we say uh, people are offended uh, because they don't know Jesus uh, people think we're being hateful just because they don't know Jesus uh, and so we associate it we say that because people hate us uh, we must be doing the right thing and that's not always true I've heard this used not at West Side uh, but by uh, in other churches and by Christian teachers and speakers um, as just a, a carte blanche way to dismiss criticism. Uh, and that's not great. To, to visualize, uh, following Jesus means that sometimes, yes, we will cause offense. Uh, sometimes we will receive hatred. Sometimes we will be persecuted. But if we're being offensive or if we're receiving hatred uh, or if we're being persecuted, it does not necessarily mean that we're following Jesus. Uh, and I think this is pretty obvious when we think about it, right? Uh, I think of the show South Park. I grew up watching South Park. Don't fire me. Uh, right? I've, I've been saved, I promise. Uh, but South Park is incredibly offensive, and intentionally so. It's offensive to Christians, to Muslims, to Scientologists, to as many people as it can be offensive to, it is offensive to. Is South Park a Christian show? I feel okay saying no. I, I, I'm fine with that. I think we can say that. I think they would say that. Um, being hated. Uh, I did this. If you look up lists of the most hated people in history, uh, do you know who's not on those lists? Pious, humble Christians are not on those lists. And these are lists made by non-Christians, by Christians, by everybody. You know who is on those lists? Any guesses? It's dictators and despots and warlords and serial killers. Those are the people who make those lists. So, are they hated at large? Yes. Hated at large. Are they following Jesus? No, I feel okay about saying no. Maybe they had some miraculous conversion on their deathbed, but in their actions, the reasons they're hated, not following Jesus. Uh, being persecuted. Um, the church has certainly been persecuted. Uh, but if we look at the histories of Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism and these other world religions, uh, it becomes apparent that persecution is not unique to Christianity. So just because we receive those does not mean that we're necessarily following Jesus. So I just wanted to start because I've heard that a lot. Um, and so all that is to say that as we talk about the church and as we talk about being the distinct church, uh, it is important that we are distinct. It is important that we are apparently different from those who are not us. Uh, but it is important that we are distinct in the right ways, uh, that we're not just 
distinct and different for being different sake, uh, but we're distinct and different because we're following Jesus. Uh, and so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, and so now the prefaces are out of the way. I'm going to actually start my sermon. You can start my time now. Uh, we're going to be a little late today. Uh, no. Um, but the, the way we're going to do this is I want to start by talking about why. Why has God called out a distinct people to be his own? Uh, and then after we talk about why, we're going to talk about how a little bit. How do we be God's distinct people well? Uh, and to start talking about why, I don't know if this thing died. Oh, did I go too far? I went too far. Uh, to start talking about why God has called us to be his distinct people, uh, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis. And if we really wanted to do this, we'd go to Genesis 1, uh, and this would take way too much time. Uh, but we're going to just choose some highlights. To the, this is the first time, uh, first major time, that God has called a distinct people to be his home. Uh, and this is to Abram. Uh, God looks at the world and he says, Abram, I'm going to choose you and your family to be specifically my distinct people. And this is what he says. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God calls Abram to be a distinct people for what reason? Somebody can shout it out. Anybody? To be a blessing to who? All nations. All the nations. All right? So fast forward a few chapters. God's changed Abram's name to Abraham. And Abraham has just shown his faithfulness by being willing to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. Uh, and after this happens, he uh, reiterates his covenant. Uh, and he says this. He says, I am Yahweh. The God of your father Abraham, or wait, I skipped one. The angel of the Lord, great, uh, called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares Yahweh, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So, because of Abraham's obedience, who is blessed? You can say it. You can. All nations. Yeah, Abraham's family? Absolutely. All the other nations? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so we're going to skip forward again uh, to Jacob. This is Abraham's grandson. And once again, God says that out of my particular people, Abraham, the Hebrews, I'm going to choose another particular people, Jacob, who become the Israelites. Uh, and this is the promise he makes to Jacob. Uh, he says, I am Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offering, offspring. So, uh, God is going to bless Jacob, uh, and they're going to spread throughout the entire world. Uh, and what is Jacob spreading throughout the entire world, world going to do? Bless who? Everybody. Bless all the nations, all the peoples, right? Uh, so we're going to skip forward a bit more. I'm guessing lots of us are familiar with these, but this one might be a little less familiar to us. And this is 1 Kings 8. Uh, it is the dedication of the temple by Solomon. So Solomon's just finished building the temple, uh, and he's giving this long speech. It's a beautiful, beautiful speech. I recommend everybody go read it, but we're not going to read the whole thing. We're just going to focus on this part. So this is Solomon, and he says... Uh, 
this is in verse 41. He says, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. We're going to pick up again. Uh, in verse 56. There we go. Uh, and I cut this one off a little earlier than I meant to. So it says, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and to keep our, the commands, decrees, and regulations he gave our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other but your hearts must be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time so we have the temple uh, built and is the temple built for the Israelites yes yes the temple is absolutely built for the Israelites is the temple built for the foreigners yes it's for them, right? It is, it is not just for the Israelites. The Israelites, it is absolutely for them. Uh, but the temple is also the place that people are going to hear the name of Yahweh. They're going to hear of his power uh, and his might in all the world. Uh, and it's a place for them to turn and come to God. All the way back in First Kings. All the way back in the Old Testament. Uh, and this continues. So as we continue reading the Old Testament, um, we have... Uh, God's people, Israel, they fall and they fail in living up to what they've been called to do. And they get sent into exile and they spend this time in exile uh, and things get pretty dark. But we always have this promise uh, that a king is going to come, uh, that somebody is going to come and bring them and deliver them uh, out of their exile. Uh, and so I want to read one more for you guys, and this is Psalm 72. Uh, it's a bit longer, so I don't have a slide for it. You're welcome to turn there with me if you'd like, or you can just listen along if you'd like. Uh, so Psalm 72. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. May he judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. May the mountains bring prosperity to the people, the hills the fruit of righteousness. May he defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. May he crush the oppressor. May he endure as long as the sun. As long as the moon through all generations, may he be like rain falling on a mown field, like showers watering the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and prosperity abound till the moon is no more. May he rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow before him and make his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of distant shores bring tribute to him. May the kings of Sheba and Seba present him gifts. May all kings bow down to him and all nations serve him. For he will deliver the needy who cry out, the afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. He will rescue them from oppression and violence, for precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. May grain abound through the land. 
on the tops of the hills may it sway. May the crops flourish like Lebanon and thrive like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun. Then all nations will be blessed through him and they will call him blessed. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. So we have this psalm. Uh, that points to a king who is to come and he's going to deliver God or deliver God's people from their oppressors and he's going to bring righteousness and prosperity and blessing for Israel and not just for Israel but for who? All the nations, all the people and they will all come and bow down and worship him. Uh, and this is Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, that's this guy. Uh, he has fulfilled this in every way that Israel failed. He has succeeded. Uh, and that includes being a blessing to all the nations. Uh, and this is the gospel. This is the gospel that we've been talking about. So Romans 1 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. So, so salvation is not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Israelites. It's now for the Gentiles also. We've all been brought to proper relationship with God, or at least have the opportunity to. Uh, and Galatians three twenty six says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Uh, so getting back to why God calls a particular people to make distinctly his uh, first with the Israelites and now the church, uh, it's the same. It's been the same. Uh, and it's the same as this gospel that we've been presenting. God has called a distinct people to have a right relationship with him. Uh, and God has called a distinct people so that we might have right relationships with one another uh, and do interpersonal stuff well. Uh, but it doesn't just end there. I'm giving a gospel seaside. This is now a double album. Uh, and the gospel seaside uh, is that God has called a distinct people uh, to shine his light into the world and to bring his glory to the world uh, and to, uh, sorry, to be a blessing to the world and the nations and the people around us. Uh, and there's a guy named Jesus who, who says as much. He says in Matthew 5, he says, You are the light of the world. The town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are God's people uh, and we are meant to shine God's light into the world, into a dark world around us. Uh, later in Matthew, when Jesus is about to leave his disciples and return to heaven, he gives them the great commission, uh, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the reason 
I'm putting such a big emphasis on our why, other than just getting to share the gospel uh, and the gospel that's been true since the beginning of the scriptures, uh, which is good. It's worthwhile. Uh, is that I think sometimes when we think about being the, chur- the church being distinct or the church being holy or the church being separate, which are all words, biblical words used for the church, uh, we conflate that with the idea of the church being isolated, uh, the church not interacting with the world around us. Uh, instead of living into our calling to spread the gospel and to shine God's light into the world, we, we would rather hunker down, uh, only interact with other Christians, and hold on until we die or God returns or we get raptured. Uh, I think that sometimes we want to do that because it's safer uh, and, yeah, but that's not not what we've been called to. We've been called to go out into the world. Uh, and this is a big deal to me. I'm sure it's a, not just a big deal to me. But I, I was born in southeast Portland. Uh, I love Portland, which, again, don't fire me, please. Uh, but I love Portland. Uh, and my heart's been broken uh, in recent years. But maybe not for the reason that you think of. Um, my heart is broken uh, because in recent years, I've witnessed an exodus of Christians, an exodus of people who follow Jesus from Portland uh, because it's gotten too crazy uh, and for all sorts of reasons, uh, and mostly an exodus to Idaho and Texas, uh, the land of prosperity uh, and God's promised land free of taxes uh, and all those other things that we need to escape. Um, And I'm not up here to say that Portland's in a good place. Uh, I'm not up here to say that Portland's on a good trajectory. And I'm also not up here to say there aren't good reasons to move to Idaho or Texas. All right. There are good reasons to move to Idaho or Texas. uh, But I will boldly stand up here and say, do you know what Portland needs? The church. Portland needs the church. That is the answer to Portland's problems. It's not new politicians. uh, It's not new social programs. It's the church. It is us living into what we've been called to do, to spread the gospel and be God's light to a dark, dark world. All right? So it's important. It is important to us. Um, And I know we're not technically in Portland, but they are our neighbors at the very least. Uh, And Beaverton and Hillsborough and Sherwood and wherever else you might live also needs the church. Um, So as we think of ourselves as the distinct church, um, as we think of ourselves as God's holy people who are different from those who don't know Jesus, let's remember that that's not just for our own sake. Uh, That is for the sake of the whole world. Um, So with that, uh, I want to focus on just three things, three hows to be the distinct church. Now, obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. There are lots of things that we as Christians should do and should not do. Uh, holiness is important. Righteousness is important. Um, but these are just three things. And there are three things that I think are, I mean, all of them are important. But there are three things that I think in particular uh, the world is starved for at the moment, at least around us. Uh, and I think there are also three things that the world recognizes that it's, it's starved for. It recognizes that it's in need of. Um, and so I'm just going to focus on these three. And the first one 
is to love one another. Uh, we've been talking about this this whole series, uh, and it is important, and I don't mind bringing it up again because it's so, so important. Uh, we should love one another like nobody else in the world loves one another, uh, which is is easy to say, harder to do, uh, but it's biblical. So in John 13, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Uh, and again, uh, in Acts 2, uh, we have this statement of the early church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, and love is obviously important in the scripture. But I think that oftentimes when we think of loving one another, at least this is true of me, I think of big acts of service and big acts of sacrifice. Uh, during this ice storm, uh, this is a little side story, I should have time. Uh, during the ice storm, I got our van stuck in the mud. Uh, and I was confident, because I belong to a beautiful community, uh, that I would get help with that. And that's great. That is amazing. So I called up one brother and said, hey, or I texted him. I said, hey, our van is stuck. Any chance you have a tow cable in a truck? Uh, he immediately called me back. He's like, hey, I'm helping out these other folk who whose house was destroyed by trees. Uh, or is it an emergency or can I come out in the next few days? Because I have these other things right now. I'm like, it's not an emergency. I'm at home. We have another car. It's fine. Uh, take care of it. No worries. So taken care of. I go to Bible study later that evening. Just say, like, yeah, I got our van stuck. Somebody else is like, oh, we'll come out tomorrow and get you out of there. So they come out in the morning, get us out of there. Uh, so we are a community uh, that serves well. Uh, I, I feel like that's true. I've experienced that in this community. And that's beautiful uh, to serve and sacrifice well for one another. But I think this goes beyond that. Uh, breaking bread with one another, uh, continuing to just do daily life with one another, it's not just big acts of service. Uh, dare I say, we ought to be friends with one another. Like just, which is maybe crazy, right? But like actually friends with one another. Uh, and like, it's not enough to just be friendly in the lobby on Sunday. Uh, we, we should live our lives together. Uh, and the world is starved for this. In 2023, uh, the U.S. Surgeon General put out this report, and our epidemic of loneliness and isolation. Uh, and it has caught on, this idea. Um, if you look at news articles or social media posts or politicians or anybody, they will say there's a loneliness epidemic. Uh, people are lonely. Uh, people feel isolated. Uh, and there's all sorts of outcomes from that. Uh, and they're looking 
for ways to alleviate their loneliness, all sorts of different ways to alleviate their loneliness. Uh, there's apps being developed. They're like dating apps, except for instead of trying to find a boyfriend or girlfriend, it's just trying to find a friend. Um, there are pushes to increase funding for public spaces like parks where people can just maybe maybe they'll meet each other at these parks. Uh, there's efforts to address our relationships with technology and how we those things isolate us, uh, make us not socially connect with one another. Uh, the world is desperately trying to find a solution for loneliness. Uh, and you know who should have mastered community and social connection? The church. It's us. We should have this mastered. Uh, this should be our bread and butter. Uh, and I think some of us probably do feel deep connections with people in the church. Uh, but I feel pretty confidently that there are some of us who probably don't. Uh, and I'm going to say strongly, uh, if you are a Christian, you should not be alone. Period. End of story. Um, Maybe at times you're alone. Uh, maybe you feel lonely, uh, but you should not be alone. Uh, we should become friends with one another. And not just on big levels, but in day-to-day life. Um, and I know that that's maybe easier said than done. We have families. We have work. Uh, people are weird and awkward. I'm weird and awkward. Uh, but it's good. It may never be convenient, but it will always be good. And even if you don't feel lonely, somebody else might. So if you are feeling lonely, if you are feeling like you don't have anybody here, reach out to somebody. I'm somebody. You can reach out to me. Uh, That's an invitation. Uh, If you don't feel lonely, if you feel well connected here, reach out to somebody. They might feel lonely. Uh, And it doesn't have to be some Christian-y thing. Uh, You can just throw a party or go to a movie, or have somebody over for dinner. Uh, And those might all sound shallow, uh, but do you know where most deep friendships start? As shallow friendships, right? Like It's it's just true. We need to spend time together, uh, and not just here, not just in programs, but in our day-to-day life. So that's my first one. And I'm sure that if we were a community where people are friends and we actually do community really well, the world would notice that. And the world would say, hey, they've got something that we want. I don't know about this Jesus guy, but I know I want a friend. And then we get to share Jesus with them, which is beautiful. Um, So that's the first one. The second one is similar to it. And the second one is that we ought to love our enemies. Um, Again, maybe easier said than done, but it's certainly biblical. Uh, This is Matthew 5 again. He says, you have heard, this is Jesus, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, and Paul reiterates this in Romans. Romans 12:14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable.
honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Um, It's the gospel. It's the gospel. And again, easier said than done. Uh, I've heard it over and over again uh, that the United States is more divided than it has been since the Civil War, at least. Uh, we are more divided uh, than we have been. Um, and it seems like it's increasingly normal and acceptable to hate the people that we disagree with. Uh, and I wish that the church was immune to this, uh, but I don't think that it is. Uh, and we might not say that we hate other people, but I think that sometimes our actions and our thoughts and even our prayers might suggest otherwise. Uh, but like Jesus, we ought to love our enemies. And like I said, that's easier said than done. Uh, but here are a couple of things that help me as I try to actually do this in my life, because this is also a struggle for me. Uh, and the first one is from Colossians 1. Uh, it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which i paul have become a servant okay so when we think of our enemies and people who are opposed to the church and opposed to god and opposed to the gospel uh we need to remember that that was us that was all of us We were opposed to that. We were God's enemy. Uh, And it's only because of the gospel. It's only because of Christ's saving work in our life that that is different now. Uh, And so we need to extend that reminder of that was us to the people that it is still today uh, and pray that they receive the gospel. And I think that if we actually genuinely loved our enemies uh, in spiritual and practical ways, uh, I think the world would take notice of that. That is very countercultural. Uh, and I, I think, again, maybe boldly, uh, that maybe we would see some enemies become brothers and sisters. And that's beautiful. That's the goal. Like, that's what we want. Um, and so uh, the other one uh, that I want to point out is this. This is another help for me when I think of loving my enemies. This is Ephesians 6. Uh, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, as far as I'm aware, the people that I would consider my enemies, that I sort of have in that frame of my mind, uh, all have flesh and blood. Every single one of them. Uh, and with that, this verse reminds us they're not who our fight's against. They're not who our battle's actually against. Our battle is against spiritual forces of evil in heaven and on earth, and our battle is against the schemes of Satan. All right? It's not against them. Uh, they are people in need of a Savior, uh, and we are called to present that Savior to them. All right? So, 
Our final one. Oh, I'm out of time. Okay, I'll go quick. Our final one is this, uh, and is that we ought to be confident. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, the world is afraid. Uh, people are afraid of disease and economic shifts and climate change and governments and artificial intelligence and other people and death. There are a lot of things to be afraid of. And I'm not saying that those aren't serious things. I'm not saying that those aren't real things or that we should ignore them. Uh, but we shouldn't be afraid of them. Uh, and we certainly shouldn't let fear of those things dictate the way that we live our lives or the way that we treat other people. Um, Again, easier said than done. Uh, but when we find fear and anxiety growing in us or when we come across people who try to bring fear and anxiety into our lives, we need to remember who God is. Um, we know the God who cures disease and provides everything his people need and commands the winds and the waves, uh, who causes kings and kingdoms to rise and to fall, uh, who conquered death. That's the God we know. Uh, that is the gospel. And so when these things that are serious things come up, uh, we should be able to look them boldly in the face and confidently uh, because we know Jesus Christ. And when the world sees that, sees that we're not afraid of the things that they're afraid of, they will notice that. I am sure that they will take notice. Now, I'm going to finish uh, by reading one passage for you guys. Uh, this will close us. This is from 2 Corinthians 6. Um, I have to turn to it real quick. Uh, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. I've gone too far. Now I'm taking more time. Second Corinthians. Oh, it's actually chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter and then we'll be dismissed. All right, so this is Second Corinthians chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as the servants for Jesus Christ's sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. 
It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal.